0: On today's episode, I want to talk about DJ Kipsky and SynthTablism, Denon DJ releasing their Prime 4 standalone player, finding a balance between paying your bills and working on your craft, and a lot more. This is the Share the Knowledge podcast for DJs. For the last 26 years, I've been rocking stages, playing in clubs, and having a lot of fun as a DJ and turntablist, and in that time, I've seen and learned a lot. Now it's time for me to share that knowledge by answering the questions that can help you to become a better DJ. I'm DJ TLM, and this is the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. What's going on? Welcome to the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. I'm your host, DJ TLM, and this is episode four for 2019. If you're not familiar with my podcast, this is my Q&A show for DJs where I try to answer as many DJ-related questions as possible using my 25-plus years of experience, and hopefully I can add some value to the DJ community by doing this. Now, every week, I'm going to gather questions. I take questions from the comments section of my YouTube channel, DJ TLM TV, and I post a weekly topic on my Instagram. That's DJTLM on Instagram. And that's why I asked for questions. Now, I got some great questions. We have some great topics for today. Like I said, I wanna talk about Kipsky and syntableism. So if you haven't heard of syntableism before, make sure you stick around for that. I'm gonna talk about Denon DJ releasing their new four channel, standalone player and controller, the Prime 4. And I wanna start with a question, a great question about being able to pay your bills while you're building your DJ career. I want to send a shout out to the sponsor of today's episode, Banzoogle. and for more info about Banzoogle, make sure you check out the links in the description box down below, and I'll add some info later on during this episode. So let's get into that first question, and like I said, this is all about building a DJ career, but at the same time, being able to pay your bills. So let's get into that question, and the question is, I've been playing at this club for free for almost a year now, just like you did. I've had a couple of paid gigs throughout 2018 and made good connections. I left my part-time job and decided to go full-time with DJing. I don't want to take paid gigs where I have to play music I don't like and don't enjoy. I'm at a point in my career where I want to build my brand and my skills, but now money is an issue. Can you please talk about how to maintain paying bills while doing what you love, even if it's not making enough money? How did you do it back then when you played for free? So that's a great question, a great topic. So I really want to spend my time on this one and go through everything that was mentioned in this question. So let me just start with that beginning first. He's been playing at a club for almost a year now for free, just like I did, and he mentioned that. This is something that I've told many times on YouTube and also during the podcast episodes. At the beginning of my career, I was given the opportunity to play on a weekly basis at a jam session for free. I would DJ in between the band sets and I would play like the last part of the night. And this was not like a long, long night, but every week I would have a couple of hours. Now to me, this is still one of the best decisions I ever made because during that time I did not have a lot of gigs. And look, you can practice all day at home, but you're not gonna learn the things that you can learn when you're playing in front of people. And during my time there, I learned so much and that experience is priceless. So let me just sketch the scenario real quick. This was a weekly jam session. They would have live musicians. They would have vocalists. This was really like an R&B, soul funk type of vibe. They would sing like some of their own songs. They would freestyle, they would jam, and I would play in between. Now, mind you, at that time, my crates were 85 to 90% hip hop, and the other 10 to 15% was R&B, maybe a little bit of soul funk and two dancehall records. I did not have a hip-hop crowd. So they liked R&B, soul, funk, and they didn't mind a bit of hip-hop, but it was not a hip-hop crowd. That means that I really had to learn right then and there on the spot how to entertain a crowd like that. So I had to know my music, and I would find every hip hop track that would have like the R&B-ish hook in there. I would look for every song that had like a lot of like soul funk samples, a lot of the more melodic stuff, anything that I could use to entertain and rock that crowd. And I had to learn how to read that crowd and test tracks. So I would play a track. Yes, it's working. Let me find something else in that vibe, or no, it's not working. Okay, let me try something else. So that was a great, learning opportunity, and I learned a lot. So that's all good, and it's a good thing you did that because I can bet that you learned a lot doing that. Now, you also had a couple of paid gigs in the last year. That's pretty cool. But here's the part I wanna get into. You left your part-time job because you decided you want to become a full-time DJ. Those two things don't necessarily go together. You can become a full-time DJ and still have a part-time job. Let me explain. I know plenty of DJs, especially back in the days that I would see on the weekends, they would have gigs every weekend, but they had a nine to five. And I mean, I knew a lot of DJs who would do that. They would have the safety, security of a nine to five. And basically they had a paid hobby in the weekend. Now they were professional DJs. I mean, they really knew how to play. They were getting paid for their gigs but DJing was not their main thing like that because they still had their job. So you don't have to quit a part-time, not even a full-time, a part-time job because you want to become a full-time DJ. And more importantly, how are you deciding to become a full-time DJ when you hardly have gigs right now? See, the more logical approach would be to keep a job. So that could be a part-time job or a full-time job. And at the same time, you still have enough time to build your brand, practice your skills and all that. Once you start to get enough gigs, that's when you can even consider to stop working and to DJ full-time because yes, you have bills to pay. So it doesn't really make sense to cut off the thing that is earning you your money right now to start doing something that's not bringing you the money right now. So I hope you understand what I mean by that. So if you following this, and if you did the same thing, let me know in the comment section down below how you approach that situation. But to me, that is the more logical approach. Now, I'm gonna skip to the end of the question because your question was also how I did that back then. I was in a different situation because at the time that I had that gig for a year, I was still living at home. Now that means that I did not have a lot of the responsibilities and bills that come with living on your own and having to pay for a lot more. So for you young ones out there that are in a hurry to leave the house and get away from your parents, if your relationship with your parents is good, I would not be in a rush to get out of the house as soon as you turn 18. If you can stick around for a couple of years longer, and that means that your bills stay lower, that will give you time to, in the meantime, hopefully build your brand and build your DJ career, and maybe then you can move on. That's just my opinion. I know some people totally don't agree with that. Now look, if your relationship with your parents is not good, you wanna get out of there as fast as you can, I understand, but if that's not the case, it could be a very good situation to stick around for a little bit longer. So I hope you understand my situation was a little bit different. Now, when it comes to choosing to go full-time, deciding to become a full-time DJ, in my case, that decision was never consciously made. This is something that really naturally happened. So I had paid gigs before I did that free gig. I just didn't have many paid gigs. During the time that year that I had that free weekly jam session gig. I also had a couple of other paid gigs as well. So the paid gigs did start to come. I was promoting myself heavily through mixtapes that I was like selling on the street. They were being sold at a couple of stores. I was making a name. At the same time, I was also starting to do shows with brain power. I mean, we're in gear 21 right now. So I started to also get a little bit of notoriety as being like, Uh, a tour DJ and we would practice for our performances. So that started to take up time doing gigs with him, getting paid for those gigs. Um, I started to do my own events with other DJs and that started to take up a lot of time because we were organizing the events. At that time, we did not have the internet. So we would spend a lot of time on promotion, meaning I would spend three to four days a week standing outside of clubs at closing time to hand out flyers we would design our own flyers, print them up, and then we would go to all the venues where people would go that liked the same type of music we were playing, and we would be handing out flyers. So we would stand outside the club at 4 a.m., and we would be handing out flyers. So doing all of those things together really didn't leave a lot of time to do anything else, and the money slowly but surely started to come in. So my actual career and becoming a full-time DJ it basically just happened to me. This started out of passion. This was something I just loved doing. And if I didn't make a cent with it, I would probably still be doing it, but I would have to find something else to take care of the financial situation. So if my career did not go the way that it did go, I would have to find a job and I would be DJing at home in my spare time. That's just what it is. Um, So look, there's another thing in there you just said that you're at the point of your career where you want to build your brand and skills. I don't truly understand that statement either, because if you're just at home having fun, you're still practicing your skills. And if it's something you love doing, you're still constantly trying to become better. There shouldn't be a point in your career where you're deciding that you need to work on your skills. Um, Building your brand, that is the decision that needs to come to you. In the beginning, you're just having fun. If you want to take it more seriously, yes, you have to understand that you have to treat yourself as a brand. So I understand that part. and That is something you can truly do while you have a job. We have the Internet nowadays, and that allows us to do a lot of things that we can do at any given time. So it's not something you need to be doing in the daytime. You could do that after your job, after school, whatever it is. But the most important thing here is if you have financial responsibilities, you have to make sure those are taken care of while you're also building your DJ career. So if that means that you have to take a part-time or full-time job, depending on how much money you need to earn, you need to make sure you do that, but you will still have plenty of time to work on your DJ career. And if you ever get to the point that you can tell like, okay, I have so many gigs rolling in right now, I have more than enough gigs to pay all my bills and then some, then you can decide if it's a good idea to, quit that job and just do DJing. That's the safest way to go about it. And this is not about playing it safe and not taking risks. You can't take risks, but if you have responsibilities, you have responsibilities and you have to take care of those as well. So I hope that helps you out. And if this is something that applies to you, so if you came to a certain point where you could tell that it was now time to quit your job, and just go all out into DJing. Let me know in the comments section how that went. Really share your stories because those stories can help people out as well. Not everyone started from the same situation, so it would be cool to hear how you did it. You just checked out a video clip from my Share the Knowledge podcast. I hope this video brought you some value If you like this video, make sure you like it and share it, share the knowledge. Now, if you want to check out the full audio episodes of the podcast, you can do that by following the links in the description box down below to check it out on Anchor, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it. If you're new to my YouTube channel, I do a lot of DJ related content like tutorials, tips and tricks, interactive scratch sessions, product reviews, you name it. So consider subscribing and activating notifications so you don't miss out on any of my future videos. I wanna thank you for tuning in and I'll see you next time. Right now, I wanna talk about a DJ from the Netherlands like myself called DJ Kipsky. And I've known DJ Kipsky for close to 22 years now. We used to compete in DJ battles back in 97 and 98. So that's way back. And DJ Kipsky was and is one of the illest turntablists that we have here in the Netherlands. Now, during that time, uh, a lot of DJs that I still know to this day, used to compete in those competitions. Shout out to DNS. Um, DNS and I used to be like battling it out. One time we came in second, so we had to share the second place. Kipsky came in first. Kipsky came in first the next year, and I think one more year, and then he wasn't allowed to compete again because he was just on a higher level compared to us. So, especially when it came to the cuts and his rhythm, He was just ill with it. He also has a drumming background like myself, and that truly helps out. You could hear it when you heard his routines. Now, Kipsky competed for a couple more years. I think he did a couple more battles, uh, won DMC a couple of times. But after that, he went more the musical route, and he started to actually perform with musicians, so he would have his DJ set, and he would actually perform with musicians, he performed with orchestras, and did all sorts of projects. Uh, He did a project with D-Styles, a lot of different things, and he was always experimental. And at a certain point, he decided that just manipulating samples and, and scratching wasn't enough for him anymore, and he got into something that not a lot of DJs are into, and that is called synth Now, you might have never heard of synth before. We know turntablism. You might have heard the term controllerism. Of course, with the portable turntables, you got portableism. Now, you can already tell by the name, synth yes, that is using a synth, a modular synthesizer, and a turntable setup, and you're combining all of that to create and perform music. Now, I'm not gonna attempt to get into the technical aspect of it, because even though I've seen him do showcases, he's explained it to me, I understand the concept, but explaining it is still a little bit tricky for me. But I did an interview with Kipski for DJ City, and I'm gonna link that interview, so you can check that out on the DJ City blog, um, where we talked about synthabilism, how he got into it, and some of the upcoming projects he has going on. Um, look, it is experimental. I'm sure it's not for everyone, but if you're currently kind of stuck So you've been practicing for a lot of years, maybe you've mastered the skills that you wanted to master, and now you're looking for new challenges or you wanna like find new ways to express yourself musically using your turntable. Synthablism is something that could be worth taking a look at because it's taking it to a totally different route and it really allows you to be very musical. And at the same time, you can still incorporate some of your DJ skills as well. So DJ Kipsky, I'm going to link the interview. And I'm also going to link his latest single. And the single is also on Spotify, you name it. But he made a video where he's performing that single, Tablism Style, live. So you want to make sure you check that out as well. All of the info in the description box down below. Check it out. So what I wanna talk about right now is a question I received out of Sri Lanka, and it is about the need for VJs, lighting engineers, sound engineers, and all of that. So let me just go through the question first. Hey, DJ TLM, we're a duo from Sri Lanka, and we've seen that many of the leading DJs have their own VJs, lighting engineers, and even sound engineers. Our question for you is, should upcoming DJs have their own crew, like we mentioned above? Or should they focus on only the music? Because we see that people like Martin Garrix have about 30 people to do things while he's on stage. So I asked them on Instagram, are you using VJs or at least are you using visuals and lighting and stuff like that? because if you don't use that, then you definitely don't need that crew. So their answer was, uh, well, here's the thing. We currently don't have those people, but we believe that if our music, visuals and lights are in sync, we deliver a better experience for our audience. Let's just take it from that perspective. If you're a DJ and you wanna take it beyond just playing your music, and you want your performance to also incorporate visuals, let's just start with visuals, There are ways that you can do that by yourself. There are ways that you can use your equipment to just add a couple extra things and control visuals. So let's just say you're using Serato, you could have Serato video and that way you could have some visuals. But if you want to have like a visual show and lights and everything there, it would probably be better to have someone to do that. Now, that most likely will come at a price or you need to find someone who's willing to see it as like an internship. So if you have someone who's studying um, lighting and stuff like that, and you offer them an internship where they have the opportunity to gain experience by going with with you to your shows and helping you out and setting up your light show or visuals. So maybe you can find some people who need the experience and they can learn during your shows. Uh, That means that you're not getting an experienced VJ or lighting engineer, uh, but if you wanna get someone with experience, it's probably gonna cost you. So if you're a beginning DJ, are you in a situation where you can afford to hire personnel, when you're probably not even gonna get paid a lot for your own performance? Uh, I doubt it. I highly doubt it. If you're uh, an upcoming DJ, that money is not coming in yet. So if you're in a situation that you actually have some finances and you can invest, you could do that. I don't know if it's gonna help you out in that beginning stage, I'm not sure, but if you really wanna incorporate all of that stuff, yes, you probably need someone. Now, I've done a lot of tours with Brain Power where we were touring with like a full band and for certain tours, we would have the light engineer. We would always have the sound engineer and we would have a monitor engineer. So you would have someone at the front of the house They would take care of the sound that the audience is hearing and at the side stage we would have our monitor engineer taking care of the sound on the stage, especially if you're with a whole band. So we have like seven, eight, nine people on stage. Uh, I would have a mic. Brainpower had a mic. Sometimes there would be like an extra MC. So three mics, musicians, you name it. In that case, you want to make sure that you have people that take care of the audio. But all of that costs money. Now, when I'm talking about those shows with brain power, that's not a beginner stage. We were we were definitely in an advanced stage. So we were doing like big shows, 10,000 people, 20,000 people, large stages. Uh, That's a different situation. We were not doing that when we were doing our first shows 21 years ago. Um, we would maybe have one person there to take care of the audio. And that was also the person driving us and you name it. And uh, sometimes we would do it ourselves and we would not do lights and just be like, okay, whoever you have who controls the lights, that's the person doing the lights because that's just what it is. In your beginning stages, you're not really working on that yet. So it's a personal choice. If you have the option, if you have the finances to do it, You could do it. I don't know how important it is in your area, but if you believe that it could really deliver a better experience and meaning that it's gonna improve the chances of you getting more gigs, then that could be an option. But for most beginner DJs, I would not start thinking about hiring extra personnel yet. All right, I wanna talk about connecting with people and social media, and yes, social media is a reoccurring topic Uh, in my videos, in the podcast, you name it, but of course, it is a fact. Social media is something that you cannot ignore if you wanna network, connect, build your brand, you name it. This question here is all about that. Though we live in a time that social media allows people to be connected all over the world, What are some tips to build connections with other DJs that aren't in your area or even country? True relationships matter more than any platform. Love God, love people. The answer to your question is basically in your own question because you're asking how you can connect with DJs that don't live in your area or country. But right before that, you say social media allows people to be connected all over the world. There's your answer. You can use social media to connect with DJs from all over the world. And if that connection can lead to a true relationship, that is up to you because you say that true relationships matter more than any platform. So I guess you're talking about that uh, true friendship is more important than being friends on Facebook. And like being connected on LinkedIn is not the same thing as actually connecting with people. I guess that's what you're saying, something like that. But you can use social media to make the connection. Once you make the connection, so once you find the people you would wanna connect with and you reach out, you can build from there. Now look, social media has been probably the biggest reason why I have a global audience. Well, not probably, it is the biggest reason why I have a global audience. My YouTube channel, its uh, I don't even know the, the current number, but it's like over 140,000 subscribers. The largest percentage of all of the subscribers and viewers are not from my country. Like if you look at the percentage, that is from the Netherlands where I am, is that small. And the rest is really from all over the globe. So social media has allowed me to present myself to the rest of the world and in the last years allowed me to add value to a lot of people's careers, being in the first stage or later stages of their career. All of that happened through social media. So to me, it is a great way to connect and to share. Now, most of the subscribers and viewers, I do not have a close connection with them. I mean, certain people, I definitely recognize their name, they leave more comments, you name it. But there's also people that I met through the videos. So their video, for instance, was an introduction That's how I first found out about them. And then later on, we connected through social media. So let me give you an example, DJ Angelo. Now, if you've been watching DJ tutorials on YouTube, you've probably heard of or seen DJ Angelo. I found out about DJ Angelo through YouTube. I saw one of his videos, and that was one of the main inspirations that made me want to make quality tutorials for YouTube. Salute to DJ Angelo. I did not know him, I just saw the videos, really liked the videos. Uh, vice versa, he found out about me through one of my videos. So we knew each other without actually connecting yet at that time. At a certain point through social media, we connected because through Instagram, through the DMs, we connected. We were both doing showcases at a dance fair in the Netherlands like a couple of years ago. So. We connected again through social media. He was living in the UK. I was living in the Netherlands. And then we met each other there. Uh, We chopped it up for a while, talked. uh, uh, Definitely a cool brother. Then we didn't speak for quite some time. That dude was busy and touring all over. I was doing my thing here. And we already had the connection at that time. So later on, we just connected again through the DMs. And um, since then... I've seen him a couple of times and we've actually like built that into a relationship. Like that's one cool dude. Uh, uh, um, We're gonna be meeting up and doing stuff in the future. So that will happen. I I can't really say more about it because there's not more to say, but that is something that will happen. But I consider that like one of those relationships that started through social media with someone who lives in a different country. So that's the thing and look, You can't choose to start like a true relationship with someone before you meet them. So you can connect with people, and I've connected with plenty of DJs that were like in Amsterdam for a day, and then we just hooked up for for a minute, uh, or I took them to a club. And with certain people, it's like, yeah, they're cool, but there's like no connection, they're different type of people which is fine, uh, uh, but that won't turn into somebody who you, uh, like, stay in contact with. Other people, it might be the case that you're like, yo, we're definitely on that same level. Uh, uh, Yo, let's see if we can do something together. You know, that can happen. But you can use social media to make that happen with people that don't live in your country or area. So that is your answer. Banzoogle makes it easy to build a stunning website for your music in minutes. You can choose from hundreds of mobile-friendly themes and then customize your design and content in a few clicks with Banzoogle's easy visual editor. Now, all the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, and integration to pull in content from all your online services, including Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. I use Banzoogle to create the Share the Knowledge podcast website And that was very easy. Banzooko plans start at just $8.29 a month and include your own free custom domain name. Now, if you want to try it out for free for 30 days, click on the link in the description box down below and be sure to use the promo code SHARE to get 15% off the first year of your subscription. All right, I want to get into this. I've talked about song requests before, so you hopefully already know my stance, but just to sum it up real quick, song requests can serve a purpose at certain points. If I'm playing at an event and I have no idea what this crowd is feeling because they're not reacting to anything, at that point, a song request might send you in the right direction. But in most cases, I would rather just play my set because a large percentage of the people are just gonna request songs that'll i play anyway, or they're actually requesting songs that just don't make any sense because it's a genre that does not fit the genres that I'm playing, or it's just totally the wrong vibe or tempo for that moment. Those people are only thinking about themselves. They're not even watching the rest of the crowd. They're only there for them, and they feel that they should hear what they wanna hear at that time. I try to spend as little time with those people as possible. So song requests, sometimes I like them, most of the times I'd rather not hear them. Uh, I have one simple way how I handle song requests. Now in this case, the questions are about people requesting just songs that totally don't fit and how I deal with that. I've talked about that before, I'll explain that in a minute. The other question here is how to deal with wax song requests from moody guests. And this question here also has, how do you personally feel about people that stick their phone in your face with a request? So, how I generally deal with song requests that I don't wanna play is, I'll just politely tell you, no, I'm not playing that. I tend not to add an explanation because most of the times it's gonna fall on deaf ears. So, if I would explain that the song doesn't fit the vibe that i'm in right now they probably don't understand and then it's going to turn into a master class where i have to explain to them how things work with tempo and vibes and energy i don't have time for that that's not what i'm there for uh if it's a song that i just don't play because i totally don't like it i might just add no i don't play that song i don't like that song even then It leaves room for debate. I'm not waiting for that, because a lot of people still feel that you're a human jukebox and you're supposed to play what they wanna hear, um, when that's totally not the case for me. Yes, I'm there to rock the crowd, but I'll rock that crowd with uh, my selection. That's why I'm here. If they want a different type of selection, they need to book a different DJ. Every DJ can do what they want to do. That's my philosophy. I do not play tracks I do not like. Simple as that. Uh, In the past, I would add more excuses or I would say, oh, I can't find it. I don't even go through that trouble anymore. I'll just tell you, like, no, I don't play that. And I'll try to do it in a polite way. But if it's like a request that makes absolutely no sense, if I can't help it, I might give you a look that just tells you that it's a stupid request, but I'll try to be polite and chill and continue to do what I'm doing. Now, in the case of moody, drunk, aggressive type of people, how do you deal with that? I always try to stay professional and calm, so if someone is already giving me an attitude, I'll try to keep it short again. If I see that it's not working and they're not leaving, Uh, The first thing you should think about at that point is to find security or let someone call security. Now, I understand not every venue will have security, but I hope most of the places you play do have some sort of security, even if it's just a small bar and it's the owner of the bar, there should be someone who's responsible for that club, venue, or bar around. And you need to just let those people know, like, look, I'm having a real hard time doing what you booked me to do. I'm trying to rock this crowd and these people are interfering with my performance. Um, please, can you do something about that? Now, the clubs where I normally play, they have security, so that can be taken care of. Uh, look, if security's not there yet and someone gets too aggressive... You might be in a situation where you have to defend yourself. Now, luckily, I've never been in a situation where I had to, uh, where a song request turned into an altercation. That hasn't happen- happened yet. Uh, I did put one or two people in their spot one time. I remember one, one woman came in to a smaller bar I was playing at, and she just came in, took off her coat, and she just threw the coat. Over the DJ booth, and it landed right on top of my turntable. Needle went off the record. Um, I was, like, in shock for a second. Like, wait a minute, what just happened? And the people standing next to the booth were looking at me like, (laughs) what? So I just took that jacket off, threw that away, and my first response was I went into my library real quick. I was using Serato at the time already. Um, Selected a track. Everyone was looking because the music stopped, so I basically had everyone's attention. A lot of people saw what had happened, so I grabbed that track, took took it to the beginning, and I cut it in, and that was A Bitch Is A Bitch by N.W.A. And that crowd knew the track, understood the joke, uh, so they started laughing at her, and people started calling her the B word as well. So that was my way uh, of getting back at her, Uh, but in most occasions, I probably wouldn't even do that. If it's a drunk person and you put them on the spot like that, chances are they're going to get more aggressive. Now, I'm not scared of anyone, but it would not make sense for me to try to instigate something that's going to take away from me being able to do my performance. Because if I make someone extra angry and it turns into an altercation, I probably won't even get to finish my set. So I don't want that. I came there to have fun, that people have fun. So I want to stay as far away from negativity as possible. And if there is negativity, I want that to be resolved as quickly as possible. But not by me. Security should do that. That's basically what I do. Now, people sticking the phone in your face, I haven't had that happen. I do have people that come up to the booth and they extend their arm so that you can read it. Um, If it's like not all over my equipment or in my face... I might even take a peek and see what song it is, and if I can see, uh, I might give them a look like, um, nah, or like, dope, I'll play that later, something like that, if it's a request that I feel is gonna be dope, because sometimes you do get inspiration from a request. You see a song title, you're like, oh, damn, that would be a dope song to play. But at all times, I try to maintain professional, uh, not let someone else's attitude change my attitude, because, if I change my vibe, so if someone is able to make me aggressive, I'm probably not gonna be in the party mood anymore and it's gonna be harder for me to focus on what I came to do. If your mind is somewhere else and if you're not feeling the vibe anymore, or if you're, if you're mad or whatever, that's not gonna help you to perform. So it would not be in your best interest to get angry. But then again, if someone would be drunk or or agitated and threw a drink on my laptop, uh, I can't guarantee that people are losing teeth that night. Yes. All right. So let's talk about it. Denon DJ has finally announced their brand new four channel standalone player, the Prime 4. I received a bunch of questions about this. People want to know how I feel about it. And one of the questions also is, should I buy now or wait for any bugs to be cleared up? So. First of all, I have to say finally, because I'm privileged to be in a situation where brands will share information with me ahead of time, uh, but they keep a tight lid on it. So I sign NDAs all the time that prevent me from uh, sharing this information before it becomes public. So now the press release is out and uh, we can finally talk about this. I was uh, in a position to see, touch, and uh, yeah, just get a first look at this unit quite some time ago, and I really like what I saw then, so I can't wait to do like the full test. I kind of fell in love with the standalone players with the XDJ RX1 and RX2. I had that RX2 here like uh, four or five months ago. I did a review. I know I still have to edit it. I shot the entire thing. Uh, Hopefully, I'll have it out soon, but... I absolutely love it. I took it to a couple of gigs, uh, uh, gigs with brain power, full band, big stages, you name it. And being able to take that standalone player out, put it on uh, uh, the booth, the table that they had for me, connect the power, XLR, booth, flash drive, done. Good to go. Uh, The jog wheels were pretty cool on that. Not as good as the DJ 1000, but they felt definitely felt good. I could perform with that easily. Uh, So I really liked it. Even though I'm a Serato guy, I like to have my laptop screen, like a lot of real estate, a lot of uh, uh, visibility. The screen on the uh, RX1 RX2 was definitely, definitely good. Now with this Prime 4 I, I don't know if you've seen the pictures or videos, you probably have, uh, that screen is something else. I really like that screen. I'm not normally a four channel DJ, but having a standalone player that has the four channel option is Just It's a plus. It's always a good thing. You got a couple more channels. I really liked what I saw then. It has a lot of features, a lot of functionality, uh, certain features that are probably great for uh, the mobile DJs, wedding DJs, situations that I probably won't run into. But the fact that it has like a separate output that you can send to a different room. And you could choose channels on that player to send audio from those channels to another room while you use your main channels to go through, uh, go to the room that you're playing in. So I'm not a wedding DJ, but just imagine that you have everything set up in the main party room where the party's gonna be. And at the same time, there is a second area where in the daytime, maybe the reception is there, but after uh, during the party, there's something else in that room. You could send like a mixtape to that room from the player while you're using the other channels to play at the party. I'm I'm just imagining this uh, just from the top of the head. I normally don't play in situations where I have to provide audio to different rooms, but you could do that with that player. It's gonna be a controller as well. They already announced that it's gonna be fully compatible with Serato DJ. I don't think that's working now. But I guess pretty soon we're going to have a Serato update, and then they'll be compatible. And then you have a four-channel Serato controller. And with that screen, you can probably just connect your laptop, leave it on the side, and still use that screen to get all your Serato information, browse through the tracks, you name it. Um, You can record your sets with a flash drive or an SD card that you put in there. It has space for like a large, large uh, hard drive. So you can have really like a big part of your collection in the unit. I saw a lot of things there that are pretty dope and they haven't even announced everything. That's all I can say about that. I, I, yeah, uh, uh, I think there are gonna be more announcements, but I really like what I saw and I can't wait to test it. Now this question here is, should I buy now or wait for any bugs to be cleared up? Now look, when it comes to modern day tech, especially from brands like Denon, they have like their latest, the, the whole Prime series is like quality. I have the SE5000, SE5000M here. Um, I have the VL12s here. Those things are like built well. And that Prime 4 was built well as well. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. Now, when it comes to bugs, a lot of new equipment might have small bugs, same with like new software, it might have bugs. But a lot of times you see now that with one software update or one firmware update, they can like eliminate bugs and, You see that same thing with like Serato. You get updates all the time. And every time you get an update, you see that there's small bug fixes. So a lot of these brands will constantly continue to uh, improve what you already have. Now, let me give you one example. It's not a DJ example, but just to show you how it works with tech now. Um, A couple of months ago, DJI, they make drones and gimbals. They came out with a new small gimbal camera called the Osmo Pocket. Super small, but it has a five axis uh, uh, stabilization in there. Um, Doesn't matter. It came out, it was pretty dope, but I think the autofocus wasn't that well and the audio from the onboard mic was pretty terrible. Not even a week or two later, they came out with a software update. After that, the mic sounded like three, four times better through a software update. So if that Prime 4 has any bugs, I can't see how they wouldn't be able to fix that with like a simple update. Uh, So I'm personally not really that worried about it. If this was like a totally new brand that I've never heard of before with like new technology that we've never seen before, maybe I want to make sure that I see it first. Like I don't want to get into that discussion, but if you look at Phase phase was announced like over a year ago, people pre-ordered, I think, close to a year ago, and they had to delay the delivery because certain things were not ready yet. So that's like a totally new thing. In that case, I'll probably wait until that first batch comes out. And then you can see if you start to hear the feedback and everything's great, then it's great. If it's not great, you wanna take a look to see if what what is causing the problem is being fixed fast enough. With the Prime 4, I don't think there's anything to worry about, but I can't wait to get mine and test it. So hopefully that'll happen soon. All right, so I'm gonna talk about something that a lot of DJs that are currently playing at home have to deal with at a certain point, and that is going from their home setup to the club setup. Now, for a lot of you, if you're using controllers at home, With certain gigs, you might get the opportunity to bring your own controller and use that. But you're going to end up in situations where you're going to play in clubs that either don't allow controllers. I hear that happens. But in most occasions, they might not have room for your controller because their booth is like fixed They have a DJ set in there. Maybe they have like CDJs and turntables, uh, uh, Serato, you name it, but it's there and you can't use your controller. So you're gonna have to use the club set. I have a question that relates to that. And the question is, I'm about to play at a gig uh, where they have CDJs and that's gonna be my first time. I've been playing with the DDJ-1000 for a while now. Is it gonna be familiar to play with the CDJs after the DDJ-1000? Now in that case, It's going to be pretty easy because you're dealing with a controller and that controller is from the same brand as the stuff that you're going to play with in the club. DDJ-1000 is Pioneer, CDJs are Pioneer, and the DDJ-1000 actually really resembles what those CDJs are. So that's gonna feel super familiar because it's gonna look the same, but you're gonna have to make sure that you just do a little bit of research to make sure that you know where the functions on that player are. And that's the thing I wanna talk about. You can have an entry-level controller at home. That's gonna be limited when it comes to its features, but all of the basics that you need to mix to DJ are gonna be the same on all of these players and controllers you're gonna have your start stop, you're gonna have your pitch slider, you're gonna have probably a jog wheel, you're gonna have like some cue points or hot cues on your controller, and you're gonna find those same things on the players in the club. If you see a CDJ, it's gonna have a start stop, it's gonna have pitch, and it's gonna have like hot cues. Now there are a couple of more features of course, but the main things you need to play are knowing how to select songs. So you need to make sure that you know how you can select songs on a player. So if you have the CDJ, you need to know how to browse. If you're using the SE 5000, you need to know how to browse. And if you know that how to find your songs and select them, then you know how to need to know how to press play and how to change the pitch. And that will allow you to mix. Then, of course, you have the mixer section. If you have a controller, it's all in one. using a mixer in the club, that mixer might look a little bit different, but it's going to have channel faders. It's going to have EQ above the channel faders. And probably above that, you're going to have your trim gain, whatever you call it, the volume for the channel. And hopefully it has a cross fader where the cross fader always is. That's going to be the same on controllers and mixers. It might look a little bit different because the mixer is bigger than your controller. Um, But If you make sure that you know what is at the venue, so you might have a SB3 at home, but if you know that you're gonna be playing on se 5000s and the X1800 by Denon, and you never played on that before, all you need to do is go online, look at one uh, introduction video where they tell you what the player is, and maybe look at one tutorial video that will show you, okay, that's play, Okay, it has like 7000 extra buttons. Do I need to use those for what I'm gonna do? No, not really. Okay, let me skip those for now. Let me find all the basic features first. All right, play is there. Uh, How can I listen to my track on that mixer? Okay, the cue is there. How can I change that volume? Cool. How do I browse the songs? How do I change the pitch? Uh, Where are the cue points? And uh, if you like loops, how can I set a loop? Look it up so that you know where it is. Um, if you need to, you memorize that, you have a photo on your phone, you take a look at it every now and then. Um, but if you already know how to mix, all you need to know is where your familiar features are on that other device. Now, of course, it's going to take you a second to get used to it. Every jog wheel is going to feel different. Every pitch slider is going to feel different. Every channel fader, crossfader might feel a little bit different, but at the end of the day, it are all, they're all the same features. You need the same things to make your transition happen. Um, So at the end of the day, you should be able to play on anything if you make sure you do that little bit of research. So I hope that helps you out. And if you've ever been in that situation where you had like the controller at home and then you went to the club and you played with different equipment, how did that work out for you? Let me know in the comment section down below. All right. So this is an interesting question. I like this. This takes me back in time. And the question is how to fix warp vinyl. I want a new copy of Super Seal 3D and it was delivered a bit warped making it impossible to scratch on one side. Yes, I've been in that situation. Of course I used to buy vinyl all the time. I was at the record stores all the time and every now and then you would have a copy that will be warped. So it will be kind of bent. And if you put it on the turntable, uh, it will be like lopsided. And if you turn it around, it will be kind of hollow. And if you had your hand on one side, the other side will go up, the needle would fly. It didn't work. You need that vinyl to be straight. Now, the, the big hole in the middle, that's a different story. Your hole could be like too big. We used to just put stickers in there to make it smaller so you get a nice fit. Uh, that's gonna eliminate a lot of the side traction you might get otherwise. Well, when it comes to warped vinyl, there's a simple solution that I used to apply. And that is, you wanna make sure that you put your vinyl in its cover on a flat surface, so the floor is perfect and then you wanna put something on top of that that covers the entire vinyl, whatever that is. On top of that, you wanna put uh, a lot of heavy things or a heavy thing, something heavy. I would like to put a pile of books on top of that vinyl on the floor so it's it's in its flat position. There's no chance for it to be uh, up on any side because you have something flat on top of it and a lot of heavy stuff on top of that. And then I would leave it for a couple of days. So not a couple of minutes, not a couple of hours, I would leave it there for a couple of days. After that, a lot of times the problem would be fixed. Now, if it's only like warped a little bit or bent a little bit, if it's like thin vinyl, I would always like bend it a little bit, but I'm not advising that you do that. But with the thin vinyl, I would bend it a little bit to the other side to straighten it out. That could work well. If your vinyl is too thick, If it's like the 180 gram, the the thick one, or 160, I don't remember, but the thick one, you don't wanna bend, it's probably gonna break. But with like the normal 12 inches, you could bend them a little bit. But if it was like really warped, I would grab the books, put it on the floor, Put a stack on top of it and that would solve the problem a lot of times now that's a trick i used to use maybe you have totally different techniques so to all my vinyl heads out there how do you deal with your warped vinyl let me know in the comment section down below you might give me some new uh, inspiration new ideas and help people out who are suffering from this because warped vinyl really is bad if you want to start scratching let's talk about that So that's where I'm going to end episode four of the Share the Knowledge podcast for DJs. I'm your host, DJ TLM. I'll be back next Monday with a new episode. Now, you can also check out my video content, the educational DJ content that I provide on DJ TLM TV on YouTube. Now, if you're not following me on YouTube, I also post content to LinkedIn, Facebook, so you can connect with me basically anywhere. Make sure you check out Instagram, for the weekly post where you can ask your questions. And if you're not feeling comfortable asking your questions in public, you can always send me an email. Email me at at sharetheknowledge@djtlm.com. Now, that is also the website, djtlm.com. You can find all my info there. You can also check out the shop where I got my fresh merch. Yes, I have my Share the Knowledge merch up on the website, um, so that is available. I have been receiving questions about making larger sizes, and I'm looking into the 3 and 4X, so hopefully I can make that happen soon. Uh, That's it for this week. I'll be back next week. Until then, uh, have a good one. If you're practicing, make sure you practice, 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 and don't forget to have fun later.